All right. Well, Erev Tov, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. Those of you who are here with us in person, and those of you who are tuning in via our Zoom or Facebook live stream, wonderful to be with all of you tonight to discuss a rather grisly and harrowing topic, uh, Torah in a time of plague. Which, I'm getting a little feedback, so one second. There we go. Thank you for all of you here for bearing with us as we try to figure out this tech stuff. Um, we're getting better. This was, believe it or not, a little bit smoother than last time. So slowly but surely making progress. But we're here tonight for our second installment of Torah in a Time of Plague. Tonight, we are going to be focused primarily on the Black Death on the anti-Semitic response to um, the, the bubonic plague or Black Death in the Middle Ages, largely in Europe. But first, let's start with a little bit of today. And what an, what an uplifting image uh, that is, right? So for those of you who joined us last time, uh, you know that that is not just a scary Halloween costume. That is, in fact, an Italian plague mask, an Italian plague suit that was worn by doctors in Italy uh, or developed by doctors in Italy. Sorry, everyone. It was developed by doctors in Italy uh, during the Black Plague. So let's fast forward 600 years, 700 years to today. This was a picture taken uh, in the United States just last year in March or April of 2020. Um, those of you in person, I don't know if you can see that up close on the Zoom screen, you should be able to see. What is the real plague? The Jew. The Jewish rat, in fact. That's, a, that's an image, a theme that we will return to. What is this? This is also um, a internet meme from the past year and a half. Um, a Trojan, I'll, I'll deconstruct the metaphor here. A Trojan horse um, whose head is COVID with a uh, Jew in, in the, the belly of the beast, let's say. Also a Jewish guardian. Um, look, uh, what do you call this? Being very conniving. And um, they're sneaking COVID into the world. So even though um, both of these themes are eight centuries old, the, the notion of um, Jews spreading the plague, which, will be, which we will go into in depth in just a few minutes, some things never change, right? Um, even 700 years later, we are still being blamed for plague and disease. Like I said, some things never change. So this is actually a medieval drawing of the 2,000 Jews killed in Strasbourg, um, on, uh, which was at the time Germany, still, still part of Germany, wasn't a, a Germany as we know it, but a part of what is today Germany. Um, 2,000 Jews that were killed on February 14th, 1349, um, in what's known as the Strasbourg Massacre. They were, they were accused of poisoning the wells, which we'll get into in just a moment, and causing the Black Death. So all the Jews of this community of Strasbourg were rounded up and burned. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail in a moment. But first, what, what exactly were they being blamed for spreading? So what is the Black Plague? This is quite a... Um, impressive image to be to be uh, preserved all the way from the 1400 14th century. Um, pretty impressive. No, actually, this is from 2012. A man in Denver caught the plague, black plague, from his cat. Went to the hospital. The plague actually, this the bacteria that causes the plague is still around. Um, you hear about outbreaks now and again, largely in. Um, Eastern Europe. I actually read about one last year. A kid was bitten by, he was out hunting 
and he was bitten by some kind of varmint and um, got the plague and actually died. Um, thankfully, this was caught early enough. You can see, though, uh, why it was called the Black Plague, right? His hands are and, and feet, which we can't see, totally turned black. Um, and, and here's a description of the Black Plague. It's caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. Um, my Latin is not great, so sorry if I butchered that which during the 14th century was carried by the black rat and transmitted by the tropical rat flea, which jumped from rats to humans, infecting them with the disease. The, what happens next? The, the infected person soon suffered from fever, seizures, and the characteristic painful swelling of the lymph glands. Um, and that swelling was called a bubo, uh, which Boccaccio described in the Decameron as, a large as, as large as a common apple. Imagine your gland swelling to the size of an apple um, and an infallible token of approaching death. So this was quite a nasty, a nasty disease. We think COVID um, is bad, and of course it's, it's bad. Um, hundreds of thousands of people in our country have died. So um, it's really quite a nasty disease. Killed over 25 million people across Europe. Uh, from 1347 until 1351. And um, that was, by some estimates, between 40% and 60% of the entire population of Europe was killed. So COVID has a um, case fatality rate of about half a percent, we think, um, about somewhere between a tenth of a percent and 1%, depending on um, the data you look at. Bubonic plague in this time period without antibiotics, crazy what a little penicillin will fix, um, killed about 50 to 60% of the people who got the, who got the disease. So really it's, it's hard to imagine after all that we've been through this past uh, year and a half trying to avoid the plague, trying to avoid this plague, um, it really puts it into perspective. What that must have done to, uh, their perspective to knowing that at any moment they could be struck not only with um, something that would kill them, but that would clearly cause immense suffering uh, in the little time they have left. So um, on to the next cheery slide. Uh, who who uh, decided to teach this class? Like, I, I don't know. It definitely uh, wasn't a positive Paul. I'll tell you that. So why Jews? Oh, well, the, um, what, what I didn't mention on this past slide, which I'll say now, is that um, this killed 50 to 60% of, of Europe. What were the Europeans thinking about where this plague came from? They didn't uh, have PCR tests. They didn't know um, where the plague was from. And so I just want to read uh, briefly from one idea this is from a book called Jews and Judaism in the Middle Ages by Theodore Steinberg. And I think he gives a nice introduction. He says that one explanation of the plague was that God was punishing the people, an understandable position that required people to accept responsibility for sinfulness, even though they didn't quite know which sins they were being punished for. So we talked about that a lot last time. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end, the theological implications of plague. If you believe that God controls what happens in the world and then a plague happens, you certainly probably think that God's causing the plague, right? But there's another explanation. The other explanation, Steinberg says, in places where there were Jews, unlike England, where the Jews had already been expelled, was that the Jews were poisoning the wells. Again, uh, Steinberg says, this explanation lacked a certain cogency. Jews, like Christians, died from the disease, and the plague raged in places where there were no Jews. Nonetheless, the people who lived in fear and panic, the explanation made sense. God was not responsible, they were not responsible, and the Jews, who were their enemies, were responsible. So easy for the Jews, who people already didn't like, and we'll talk about that right now, um, to, take, to be the scapegoat, to take the blame. And as we see, this is actually a trend that continues throughout all plagues. 
Um, oftentimes the Jews get blamed as, as we were today, but every plague, every, um, e even today when we have science, every plague has a scapegoat. And for much of history, that scapegoat has been the Jews. So why did people already hate the Jews? And, and maybe not everybody hated the Jews, but there are certainly animus uh, throughout Europe against the Jews. So let's back up. Why did the Jews first come to Europe in the first place? We were uh, pretty happy in um, the places that, that we had moved since we got expelled by the Romans um, when the temple was destroyed in 70 CE of this common era. Uh, we'd gone throughout the Middle East, through Egypt, um, Alexandria, of course. Uh, the, the big cities before the Middle Ages where Jews lived were, were in Babylon, were in modern-day Iraq. Um, the great, the great uh, houses of worship, the great study halls were in Pumbaa and, and Samadita. In, uh, the, the height of culture was in the Middle East. But in the early Middle Ages, uh, maybe around the, the 10th century, Jews started getting invitations to move to villages in Europe. Uh, Shum um, is where Ashkenaz started, uh, three cities in, um, in what's modern-day Germany. Why did they get invited to these places? Largely because Christians, it, they believed it was against their religion to lend money at interest, but Jews could. We didn't have a problem with that. So these, uh, whether it was a municipal leader, which they didn't obviously have a city council back in the day, but they had um, different feudal lords, different, um, I wouldn't really say monarchs at this time, but different people who were uh, kind of in charge and, and owned land, or often in many places, it was the church who invited the Jews in um, as a way of, of economic development. So they would invite Jews in because um, they wanted Jewish capital, and they wanted that capital to spur commerce. So many Jews were invited in, and in fact, um, we had it pretty good in a lot of places. We, we were able to prosper because even though we were prohibited in many of these charters that granted Jews um, not only access but protection, protection um, from the, the ruling class, not only did um, we have protection, but we did well. Uh, we, we became prosperous, even though we were limited in what we could do. Really, all we could do was lend money and make wine because we had to have, that was a stipulation we put in there. We, uh, one of the kosher rules for kosher wine is that Jewish people uh, have to make their own wine. And so that was an exception that was given. So essentially, all we could do was grow uh, grapes and lend money. Later, that also expanded to other areas of trade. But the thing was that led to animus, right? If you're lending money to, to peasant farmers, to um, very poor people, and then they owe it back and maybe they have a bad year, the crop fails, they still owe you the money. How's that going to make them feel about you? Not so good. Additionally, Jews from a very early period were literate. We taught our children to read so that we could study Torah, we could study Jewish law, et cetera. So um, we actually had quite a bit more in common with the aristocracy, even if actually much, there, there was prosperity in the Jewish communities, but also much of it didn't do so well because they couldn't do any other trade. Um, and so even though we certainly weren't, at, the Jewish people certainly weren't as rich as the lords um, or even uh, maybe not rich, but they, they became very close also with the clergy in the churches. So it's, it's interesting to think that we think about Christians, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in a minute, being uh, very, um, having a lot of antipathy for the Jews. Actually, with the clergy, they were buddies, because the Jewish people were the, often the only other people in the villages that they could talk about the Bible, they could talk about um, various literature, um, etc., so the, because the Jews were learned, they kind of got in the elite class. That also, when, when um, the peasants revolted or, um, uh, you know, revolt is a good word, or, or, or perpetrated violence towards the feudal lords, the Jews were often lumped into that as well, because they looked at both of them as being kind of the elites. So um, that 
resulted in a number of pogroms that killed Jews or tortured Jews, um, but nothing, nothing on the scale, even the Crusades, which we think about as being the work in 1096, which we think about as being tremendously uh, violent, killing hundreds or thousands of Jews, nothing was on the scale, not even close of what happened in the Black Death. So what happened? Um, Another reason, before I get into what happened to the Jewish communities, um, let's talk for a moment about why specifically Christians took on this, and their, the, the Christian neighbors took on this perspective of blaming the Jews. So the, the obvious um, scapegoat, we'll come back to this, um, was the notion of poisoning the well. So the, the Christians believed that the Jews were poisoning the wells, um, the, the rivers, the wells, and, and that was making everyone sick. Um, let's see Steinberg, page 74. Oh, I just read that, about they, were, they, they believe they were poisoning the wells. That was an introduction, but let's see an actual take on one of those. This is from um, Joshua Trachtenberg, The Devil and the Jews. Rumors of Jewish well poisoning began to circulate in southern France, where as early as May 1348, the Jews of a Provençal town were burned on this charge. From there, so they, uh, they started to be burned. That was what happened. Um, they said, okay, you poisoned our wells. We're going to burn all of you. We'll, get, we'll come back to the burning. Um, this went from community to community. T totally Okay. I'm going to use this opportunity to take a quick water break. Thank you. I was thirsty. So um, from there, it spread from community to community. Um, and they will come, we'll come back to this. This is actually fascinating about what the Christian leaders did. But I want to, where is this? Okay. Um, Jacob Rader Marcus, who is the teacher of Rabbi Greenstein. He was the founder of the American Jewish Archives and um, the, one of the greatest Jewish historians of the 20th century. Jake Greenstein is, um, I believe, uh, one of his namesake. He's Jake Greenstein's namesake. Um, he writes, and this, um, this is really the textbook on uh, Judaism in the Middle Ages. This is the, the classic work, The Jew in the Medieval World, he writes um, that the reason why uh, this whole rumor about poisoning the well got started was because in one community, um, the plague was happening. They were looking for an excuse. They got some Jews and tortured them and said, why is this plague happening? And of course, as we all know, under duress of torture, you'll say anything. And so these two Jews confessed to uh, poisoning the wells. Let's read. This is actually um, a uh, document of the confession of a guy named Agamet of Geneva, um, who this is a, a, a transcript of his confession. It says, Agamet the Jew who lived in Geneva, oh, by the way, from 1348. So Agamet, the Jew who lived in Geneva and was arrested at Chatel, was there put to the torture a little, and then he was released from it. And after a long time, having been subjected again and again to torture, he confessed in the presence of a great many trustworthy persons who were later mentioned. Um, blah, 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 they talk about the people who, um, who were there for the torture, and um, they, they accuse him. They say, we have been informed that you are going to Venice to buy silk and other wares. Um, here I'm giving you a little package of a half of a span inside of which contains some prepared poison and venom in a thin sewed leather bag. Distribute it among the wells, cisterns, and springs about Venice and the other places which you go in order to poison the people 
who use the water of the aforementioned wells, um, etc. So um, Agamet, this guy says that he took this package full of poison and carried it with him to Venice. When he came there and threw and scattered a portion of it into the well or cistern of fresh water, which was near the German house, in order to poison the people who used the water of that cistern. Of his own accord, Agamet confessed that after their, that this has been done, he left at once in order that he should not be captured, and that he went personally to Calabria um, and Apulia and threw the above-mentioned poison into many wells. He confesses also that he put some of the same poison in the well of the streets of the city of Ballet. So clearly, there's this notion stemming from torture that the Jews poisoned the wells. What was the response? Burning. Let's actually, um, well, yeah, burning. Within one year, this is from a document also from the, the 15th century describing what had happened a few years earlier. And it says, within one year, all the Jews between Cologne and Austria were burnt. So remember when I said a minute ago that there had been pogroms throughout the entire history, essentially, of Jews living in Europe? They'd killed many Jews, tortured many Jews. You can read about it. It's, it's horrible. But nothing on this scale. This is really a precursor to the Holocaust. In, in all of Jewish history, there's been anti-Semitism. This and the Holocaust, at least since the destruction of the temple, are the worst. And we know very, I mean, at least as a, a, a you know, fairly well-educated Jewish person, before I went to rabbinical school, I didn't know any of this. So it's, it's, it's really staggering the level of the destruction. Um, all the Jews between Cologne and Austria, et cetera, destroyed. So this is a rendering of the Jews um, all being brought together and burned. Um, this is a, you, you can imagine what kind of person would want this in their house or in their church, right? This is on a woodcut, um, which, was which is now in, in an art museum, but I believe was, lived in a church, was, must have been commissioned, and they put this up. I mean, it's, it's actually hard to, to fathom um, why this art would exist. But it gives us an image uh, today to think about when we read an account of the burning. On Saturday, that was St. Valentine's Day, they burnt the Jews on a wooden platform in their cemetery. There were about 2,000 people of them. So our, our sanctuary, just down the way, fits about 2,000 people. Imagine on one day, every single person in a city, the size of our sanctuary, being burned. Two, uh, those who wanted to baptize themselves were spared, which actually tells you what it really was about. They probably didn't actually think that if they actually thought they were poisoning the wells, why would converting to Christianity spare them? No, really, they just hated the Jews. So if you had become Christian, they'd spare you. Um, and some say that about a thousand accepted baptism. Many small children were taken out of the fire and baptized against the will of their fathers and mothers. And everything that was owed to the Jews was canceled. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, and the Jews had to spend, surrender all pledges and notes that they had taken for debts. I wonder why they were burning all these Jews. They owed them money. And if they burned them, the authority, at least in, in this case, in, in, um, in this city, which is, in, which is Strasbourg, um, all the debts were canceled. But what happened? The council, however, took the cash that the Jews possessed and, did, and divided it among the working men proportionately. The money was indeed the thing that killed the Jews. If they had been poor and if the feudal lords had not been in debt to them, they would not have been burnt. After this wealth was divided among the artisans, some gave their share to the cathedral, to the church, on the advice of their confessors. Thus were the Jews burnt at Strasbourg. And in the same year of all the cities in the Rhine, whether free cities or imperial cities or cities belonging to the lords, in some towns they burnt the Jews after a trial, in others without a trial. In some cities, the Jews themselves set fire to their houses and cremated themselves. So we actually know that when Jews thought that the, the other people were coming, 
um, instead of being tortured, instead of perhaps their wives or children being raped or murdered, um, they decided to, to take it on themselves um, and burn themselves, which is really a horrible thought. Um, reminds, of course, of those who know the story of Mount Masada. Um, it's quite a similar story. So another reason why the Jews were burned was because of this notion, we'll come back here, that not only did the Jews, um, not only did the Jews cause it, but how did they know that they caused it? In addition to the confessions, there was this notion that still exists today, that Jews fared better, that Jews fared better in the plague. And I actually had heard this. I don't know if any of you had heard this or any of you had heard this, but I had always heard that Jews did better, that we died at, a, at, at uh, lower rates than the other people because of various reasons. Why? Let's just read quickly a, a couple of, um, don't read the bottom part, but um, a couple of reasons. One, God loved us. We are the chosen people. God protected us. Another reason, hand washing. We, of course, um, as part of, part of our uh, traditions of purity, wash our hands multiple times a day. Um, people thought maybe that would be the, uh, the saving grace. Um, or the fact that because we lived apart from other communities, we didn't live among the, um, the Christians so much. We were, by design, we were isolated. Um, not quite in ghettos as we think, thought of them later in Europe, um, but definitely lived separated. Um, and so maybe they said, oh, plague didn't make it over there. In fact, the vast majority of scholars think it's false, think it's total nonsense. We, we certainly have accounts of, um, here, let, let's, read, let's read this. This is from the preeminent historian um, of, of the Middle Ages. I, I think Graz, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, if you know, um, I believe he is uh, late 19th century, but I could be wrong. Um, and so he is, is this historian. There's actually a, a Jewish graduate school named after him and, uh, to this day. And he perpetrated or he um, continued on this myth. So let's see what he says. He says, the Black Death had indeed made itself felt among Jews. But the plague had visited them in a comparatively mild form from the Christians, probably on account of their greater moderation, whatever that means. They didn't drink as much, I don't know. Um, and the very careful attention paid to their sick. That is a mitzvah to visit the sick. Thus, the suspicion arose that the Jews had poisoned the brooks and wells and even the air in order to annihilate the Christians of every country at one blow. So this is what Gratz says, our own Jewish historian. He says one of the reasons um, why this well thing, poisoning the wells, took off was because people saw the Christians dying everywhere, but the Jews weren't hurt. He, this is also um, from a, a modern scholar of the Middle Ages, Norman Cantor. He says, popular belief was that the Jews were responsible for the Black Death, as we know. Um, he says that belief was inspired or at least exacerbated by a visibly lower incidence of the plague among Jews due to the personal cleanliness, good housekeeping, and highly selective diets, or kashrut, the kosher laws. So um, in a way, we, and we, we know this about a lot of things in Judaism, we think, oh, um, because we didn't eat pork, we, we were clean because the pigs rolled around in whatever pigs roll around in, I can't say that word in the, uh, in the sanctuary, in the chapel, um, because of that, we fared better. According to most scholars, that's a bunch of hullabaloo. Why? Um, well, we know we have, we have records that the Jews, if they managed to escape their Christian neighbors, died of the plague quite a bit. We have a lot of records of Jews dying of plague. Um, and so this, this guy, the dean of the uh, Divinity School at UChicago, says that um, he doesn't know of any credible evidence to that effect. No credible evidence um, that, that the Jews um, died at lower rates. Why? 
why, what, what is incredible? What is not believable about this, um, these scenarios? Well, first of all, and I want to read a little thing, or I'll just explain it. First of all, just like remember when COVID uh, got started and we were all wearing gloves and we were all using hand sanitizer all the time. And we thought, oh, it's, it's what's called fomite spread. You get it from touching surfaces and then you touch your mouth or your nose, your eye or whatever. And that's how you get COVID. Now we know it's actually, it's theoretically possible to get it by touching, but in, in all likelihood over 95 or, or something like that percent of the cases are spread through the air. Um, aerosol transmission or par uh, airborne particle transmission. We know now how the Black Plague is spread. It's not spread uh, through touching of the hands or anything like that. It's actually spread, um, as we read at the beginning, from these fleas that bit, that bit these rats. Um, the rats got the disease. The, the fleas bit the rats, um, had the, the blood of the rats, then bit human beings, and that's how it's passed. Just like yellow fever epidemic, which we're going to talk about at our very next session, our very last session. Um, I'll just give a quick plug for that. Uh, if you're not uh, already just jumping out of your chair to learn more about uh, the history of plagues. In our last session, we'll talk about uh, the 1873 and 1878 plague of yellow fever that afflicted Memphis, Tennessee. Um, where over the, a third of the people who stayed died. And Rabbi Samfield, our very own rabbi at Temple Israel, also stayed and ministered uh, and tended to and buried hundreds of people, Jews, non-Jews, all types of people in Memphis. Fascinating history. That is also um, Walter Reed. You may have heard of his military hospital. We'll talk about this next time, but um, just a quick plug. He's the one, he was a, an army doctor. He actually discovered, along with a team of people uh, in the Caribbean, that it wasn't spread due to filth, due to the, um, what's it called? Uh, not the cleanliness hypothesis, the, I can't think, there's like a scientific term, but it's, it's not spread due to filth or, or dirt as was previously thought. It's actually sp spread when a mosquito um, bites you and the mosquito has it in the blood that they have, they bite you and they transmit it blood to blood. So in a very similar way, although that's a virus, um, the black plague is a bacteria. Um, it, it's actually spread from animal contact, um, nothing to do with hand washing. So we know that it's total nonsense that the Jews fared better because of hand washing. Also, um, the, the, there's no real uh, reality that pigs maybe spread the virus because the fleas um, were uh, different. There, there are more rats or more fleas with the pigs versus not the pigs. It's all nonsense. It's all total nonsense. There is some scholars debate that perhaps because Jews weren't um, out in the fields doing agriculture as the, uh, as the peasants were, because we couldn't, that they, they, we were prohibited from owning land, that um, maybe the rats that carry the plague were more out in the fields. And so that's why the, fleet, the, the Christians who were out living in the fields were more susceptible. We know that there are also rats in the city where the Jews lived. So basically, um, maybe I, I killed it a little too much. Nonsense. I do want to share, though, one take from just the last year in the book that's coming out or that just came out or it's coming out very soon, um, a new take on why perhaps Jews would have fared better. This is um, by Catherine Gladder and Paul Finkelman. Um, one of them is the president of Gratz College, in fact, um, the, the Jewish school. And another, another one's also a student there, but it also is a doctor from um, Harvard. So what do they say? And said, we believe that the answer why um, Jews fared better, which they actually, um, they're taking as a given. Like I said, most scholars think that's probably not true. They believe that the answer lies in a recessive genetic mutation, familial Mediterranean fever, which is found mostly in people of Middle Eastern ancestry. 
In 14th century Europe, the most prominent and visible group of such people would have been Jews. FMF, this mutation, causes recurrent fevers and painful inflammation of the abdomen, lungs, and joints. Sounds horrible. However, as a 2020 study showed, it also this, this mutation also makes its carriers resistant to bubonic plague. So they said the people that li living in Europe at the time, the Jews, came from the Middle East, right? Um, if anybody carried this mutation in Europe at the time, it must have been the Jews. So if the Jews fared better, this is probably why. I'll leave that to the experts. I don't know, but I do think that the back and forth is interesting, especially when we're kind of raised on this myth that the Jews fared better because of kashrut or cleanliness or whatever. And in fact, most scholars think that's baloney. Okay, burning, here we go. Where, what was the Christian response to this violence? Um, some of them, and I want to read you a little account, um, tried to halt the violence. So like I said before, it actually was the peasants, was the, um, the poorest, not the leaders of the church, who are the ones perpetrating this violence. So in many cases, actually, the leaders of the church tried to stop it. Um, Pope Clement V, sorry, Pope Clement VI issued several decrees known as papal bulls, B-U-L-L-S, I think I'm pronouncing that right, which is like a, just a papal order, like an executive order that the president would sign, um, attempting to put a halt to the Jewish violence, to the anti-Jewish violence. Because um, he says, throughout many parts of the world, the, the same plague, by the hidden judgment of God, has afflicted and afflicts the Jews themselves and many other races who have never lived alongside them. He's saying, if the Jews are getting, um, this is the Pope, by the way, the Pope says, if the Jews are getting the plague, and in places where no Jews exist, they're also getting the plague, how can you logically blame the Jews for giving all of us the plague? So thank you, Pope uh, Clement VI, for being on our side. That was very nice. Um, also, um, a duke intervened, and because you know, we're running short on time, I'm not going to read that. Um, another response from Christians wasn't just to try to halt it, but it was to disincentivize it. So in some municipalities or some, um, it's not really the right word, but in some areas, they imposed taxes. They said, if you are going to kill the, the Jews, any person who does, who engages in this, you are going to owe um, the uh, you're going to owe the, the authorities a tax. In a way, it's kind of um, akin, it's in economic terms called the Peguvian tax. It's a tax that increases the price of doing um, an action, similar to today, the debate over carbon taxes, right? Um, if you increase the cost of burning carbon, they think that that will reduce the burning of carbon um, because it makes it more expensive to do so. Um, a subsidy works the same way. Um, if you're subsidizing a good thing, they think that that will increase the uh, incidence of that thing. Um, so uh, for example, we in our economy subsidize um, corn-based ethanol and that increased the production of ethanol. Works all the same way. This idea of taxing people who killed the Jews um, perhaps if, if we take the argument from a minute ago that it actually wasn't so much related to well poisoning, but in fact was related to economic reasons that they thought their debts would be canceled if um, they kill the Jews, this economic disincentive um, perhaps could have stopped it. We know, unfortunately, it didn't work so well. Of course, we know in many cases, um, Christian authorities encouraged it. So I want to read you a quick quote from Charles IV of Bohemia. Okay. So 
On the other hand, the enlightened Emperor Charles IV of Bohemia, known for his cultural development of Prague and Central Europe, was less equivocal and hardly a beacon of rationality when it came to Jews. Instead of protecting them in advance of the persecutions, he made, this is crazy, he made arrangements for the disposal of Jewish property and granted immunity to leading burghers, bishops, and knights at Nuremberg, Regensburg, Augsburg, and Frankfurt so that they could direct and engage in the execution of Jews there. Further, after the massacres, he canceled debts owed to Jews by local elites in many other towns across German-speaking territories. So here, on the one hand, you have the Pope, you have other leaders trying to stop it, and then you have people like this guy, Emperor Charles IV of Bohemia, um, not only trying to encourage it, but himself trying to profit from it. Not good stuff. Not good at all. Okay. What I think is fascinating is that you have such a range of responses from the Christian leadership, um, from protecting to encouraging, etc. What did the Muslim, what happened in the Muslim world at this time? If you're interested in this topic, by the way, not, not just the plague, but um, Jews in the Middle Ages, this is really one of the best books. It's called Under Crescent and Cross, uh, Crescent being Muslim and Cross being Christian, of course, um, the Jews in the Middle Ages. And so it, it has a comparative, in, in many aspects, take on um, how did we fare under Muslims versus Christians. And um, though you might not know this from today, when we think about the conflict in Israel or in the Middle East as being a religious conflict, um, that the media oftentimes likes to paint as going back centuries, a conflict uh, stretching millennia. The Jews and the Muslims have always been at odds. Um, like the, the notion that Jews fared better, nonsense. In fact, in the Middle Ages and much of, much of history, almost all of history, uh, we fared much, 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 much better under Muslim rule than we did under Christian. So let's see what um, this book says. Um, whether their persecution is measured in terms of expulsion, murder, assault on property, or, first con or forced conversion, the Jews of Islam did not experience physical violence on a scale remotely approaching Jewish suffering in Western Christendom. By and large, even when Dimis, which is, um, we were... Adimi and Micah, Rabbi Greenstein, talked about this in his class a couple uh, uh, months ago on um, how we fared, how Jews fared um, in the Christian world and the Muslim world. Adimi was um, a group of a minority, like a special minority group. So they, we couldn't do all of the things that the majority could, but we also had this kind of special status. That's what Adimi was. So by and large, even when Dimis as a group experienced growing up oppression and persecution in the post-classical period, the grim conditions found in Europe were not matched. The Black Death, um, blah, 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 we know this, uh, witnessed massive pogroms against the Jews. The Black Death ravaged the, the Islamic world as well, but nowhere in the Islamic world did people blame the Jews, let alone try to eliminate them. The Christian concepts of millennialism, militancy towards alien communities, and punishment and guilt that contributed to the persecution of the Jews during the plague were not operative in Muslim society. So uh, the very last thing um, that Salo Barone, the historian also that Rabbi Greenstein talked about, um, writes of the Mamluk Empire, of course a Muslim empire, in the period 1250 to 517, anti-Jewish riots were both less frequent and less bloody. So, uh, and finally, I'll just add this one last sentence. As a rule, they were limited to certain localities and did not assume the epidemic proportions of assaults by the Crusaders, and then later, of course, with the Black Plague. So, totally, I think, fascinating take um, or uh, re 
reframing of the history between the Jewish people and the Muslims. And especially as Jews who live in, in the Deep South in the Bible Belt, we often think of our Christian neighbors as um, our neighbors, our friends, the people we go to school with, we play soccer with, um, etc. We're so blessed to live in an era we, where we have good relations with, with our Christian neighbors. Um, that was not always the case. In the last couple minutes, I will talk a little bit about the Jewish communal response. One of the ways throughout our history that we have responded to communal catastrophe was lament, was uh, literature and the writing of a lament. What is a lament? It's like a dirge, but it's on behalf of the entire community. So it's like a poem of mourning excuse me but on a on a almost existential scale can anybody think of a poem or a piece of literature in our history that is a similar well-known lament about something horrible that happened i'm not going to put you on the spot i want you those of you watching at home those of you here um, we have a book we read every tish above um, one of the books of the Bible, Echa, Megillat Echa, or Lamentations. The Christians also have it in their Bible. Um, but Lamentations laments the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel and the horrible, horrible things that happened to the Jews. Um, uh, I'm not going to uh, spoil it. Come back to Temple on Tishbab, you'll hear what happens, or just open up your Tanakh. Um, but that was lamenting the destruction of the first temple in um, 586 BCE. But throughout our history, whenever horrible things have happened, one of the ways that we've coped with them was to write a lament. So um, we have two extant, two, um, two laments that are extant, that remain, that were preserved, and we have today. Um, I'm not going to read the, I'm not going to read them because we don't have time and because you probably don't want me to read them. But one thing I think it's cool is that in many communities, that lament, one of them, was preserved in the Tisha B'Av literature. Uh, liturgy, was said year after year on Tisha B'Av, commemorating what happened in the Black Plague. Um, and one of the things I just want to touch on is that one of the things that they do in this lament is ask God for forgiveness. Not only do they say, woe is me, th these are the horrible things that happened. They say, God, whatever caused you to do this to us, please forgive us. Which gets back to the theological underpinnings of plague that we talked about in the first session. The idea of, do we blame God for this? And if we do, what does that say about a God who supposedly loves us, who supposedly um, is good and want, wants, no, wants to minimize suffering, how would a God that minimizes suffering and yet is active in the world, um, how do those two things exist? So if you ever come to any of my God classes, you'll know that uh, many um, modern theologians reject that notion that there can be um, that God is active in the world and that God loves us. So many, um, either, many choose to reject the notion that God is active in the world, that God is actually involved in our lives and keep the notion that God loves us. If the two can't go together uh, or that God is good, leave the God loves us aside, um, but that God is ultimately good. So if you can't, if the two are in conflict, if God is all powerful, all knowing and all good, and then bad things happen, many modern theologians choose, choose to reject one of those three things, and they reject um, that God is all-powerful, that God um, gets involved in our everyday life. We are out of time. Um, I'm happy to stay if there are a few um, questions, either here or for those of you on Zoom, those of you on Facebook, uh, feel free to type a couple questions in the chat. If you have them, I'm happy to go back um, and message, message you later. Uh, but if 
if you need to drop off, feel free to drop off. Those of you who are here, um, if you want to go home, um, go ahead and uh, get out of here, uh, grab some dinner. Um, Ajay, would you mind taking us off of Facebook? Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in uh, on Facebook. Those of you on Zoom, if you want to leave, Lila Tov. Thanks for being here. Join us next time for Torah in a Time of Plague, part three. Um, the date is December 15th, right back here in the sanctuary, 7 to 8 p.m., in the chapel, 7 to 8 p.m. Any questions? Any questions, comments, thoughts? Yes, Mimi. Yeah. I mean, I I saw the other day a um, I, I was trying to find this meme. I couldn't find it. Um, I but I saw this the other day on, online. Somebody post about they named like every person involved in the government response that was Jewish to COVID. Um, there's quite a few, the CEO of Pfizer's Jewish, um, zillions and zillions of people of the scientists that are at the CDC, um, at the FDA, say what you want about the government response. If you're saying that COVID, uh, look, look, all these people are Jewish. What do we think is actually going on here? It's a COVID is a Jewish conspiracy. Clearly that is anti-Semitic. Um, and it's happening like, like with these memes or, or these um, pieces of propaganda, it's alive and well. Well, on that uplifting note, thank you all for coming. Thank you all uh, who are on the Zoom. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Hope to see all of you soon. Be safe. Don't get the plague. Take care.